We're in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to start that chapter as we start to wind down in terms of Paul talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their exercise. So open your Bible there or navigate on your device. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. The controversy over the cessation versus the continuation of certain gifts of the Holy Spirit is as intense as I've ever seen it. Cessationists are definitely on the offensive right now. One of their arguments, uh, really, if you listen to them, uh, is that continuationists, people who believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit have continued, are not very biblically astute. They say that we're not very smart when it comes to the Bible and that have you ever had anybody in a, in a discussion, not necessarily just about the gifts, but in any discussion, just play that card and say, well, actually, if you really read the Bible or if you really studied this, then you'd know that I was right. It's, a, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of demeaning, but uh, uh, the continuationists believe that they have the corner on the uh, scholarly market. And that's why it was interesting to me to come across a recent interview in Relevant Magazine with John Piper. Now, Piper is a champion of the modern Reformed movement, and while we disagree with Reformed theology in general, he's an intellect and he's a force to be reckoned with by uh, other cessationists. Here's what he said about the gift of speaking in tongues. I transcribed this as I listened uh, to a little video clip. Piper said, I see no reason for arguing that anything has changed in the history of redemption that between the age of the apostles and today, that gift should have disappeared. I don't see any mandate that we not pursue it, but I see encouragements that we do. Another notable individual, uh, you may or may not have heard of him, probably not, I I hadn't really, but his name is R.T. Kendall. Uh, I know his reputation, though he's the recently retired pastor of London's famous Westminster Chapel. He was the successor there of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He personally picked uh, Kendall to succeed him. Uh, You may not have heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones, but he is considered one of the greatest uh, preachers of the 20th uh, 20th century. And so this guy's a heavyweight, and he too happens to be reformed. He's written about 50 books, the latest one being Holy Fire, and in that book he says this, cessationism is a hypothesis. It's not a teaching grounded in Holy Scripture like the virgin birth or the deity of Christ or the resurrection of Jesus and salvation by the blood of God's Son, cessationists have chosen to believe that God does not reveal himself directly and immediately today. And so if any of you are thinking that we're not on good scholarly ground or that the really smart guys are cessationists because they've studied the Bible a lot more than we have, well, they probably have studied the Bible a lot more than we have. I'll give them ground on being smart, but there's a lot of really smart guys throughout the history of the church and continuing today that aren't even in our evangelical charismatic camp that are in this reformed group that are saying, hey, wait a minute, we need to put the brakes on this. Cessationism is somebody's hypothesis, and uh, it it can't really be proven from Scripture. Now, we've come to chapter 14. It's where Paul applies chapters 12 and 13, telling the church how to properly exercise and manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit when they assemble. If you want to be successful in studying chapter 14, I think you need to keep verse 5 in mind, otherwise there comes in some confusion. So let's read that, and I'll tell you why it's so important. Paul's writing, and he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, 
but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, that last clause, beginning with the words unless, or with the word unless, excuse me, is uber important. When Paul says speaking in tongues in this chapter and compares it to prophecy, he means speaking in tongues that go uninterpreted. He says here in verse 5, if you speak with tongues unless it's interpreted, then the church will receive edification. So um, when he talks about speaking in tongues, he's talking about uninterpreted tongues. His focus in this chapter is not your private devotions, by the way. It's the public worship service of the church. In verse 6, Paul will ask, what shall I profit you? In other words, what kind of public speaking in the church will profit Christians and build them up, what, what will profit non-believers and bring them to Christ? The answer is a word he uses nine times in this chapter in various forms, understood, understand, understanding are the English forms of it. In the assembly of the church, you must only always speak with understanding in order to profit others and build them up. Paul was in no way demeaning or devaluing or disparaging the gift of speaking in tongues. When it is interpreted so that everyone can understand what was being said to God by the speaker, it's on an equal par with prophecy or any other speaking gift. At the end of verse 26, you read, let all things be done for edification. You know that the word edify means to build up. It's where we get our word edifice, which we don't use too much anymore, but it it means a, a building or to be built up. You should only and always exercise your gifts in ways that encourage the spiritual growth and progress of others in the assembly. That's so important that Paul uses the word edify in one form or another six times in this chapter, and it's implied in everything he says even when he's not using the word. And so the concern in this chapter is edification, building you up. The issue is intelligibility, understanding. Uninterpreted tongues is not understandable, hence it cannot edify the church. Prophecy is addressed to people precisely for their edification, and in that sense, it is the greater gift. And so let's look at verse 1 and work through these first five verses. Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love summarizes chapter 13, of course, the love chapter. Desire spiritual gifts summarizes chapter 12, because that's where Paul left us in chapter 12. In fact, you might recall that chapter 12 closed with the exhortation, desire the best, or some Bibles say the greater gifts. Chapter 14 defines what Paul meant by best or greater. Certain gifts are to be preferred in the public assembly because they can build others up. The gifts aren't better or greater in and of themselves, only in their use. And so Paul Paul isn't saying, hey, here's a list of really important gifts of the Spirit, and then there's some not-so-important gifts of the Spirit that we don't need to worry about. No, the idea is that in the public assembly, some are better and to be preferred because they actually build other people up. If you desire spiritual gifts in the context of love, then you'll want to prophesy in the public assembly because it can be understood by all. You won't speak in tongues 
unless there's the possibility of an interpretation. And Paul takes this for granted. He's going to spell it out for us, but he takes it for granted that let's say, let's say you're, you're, a, you're, you're gift, you have the gift of speaking in tongues, that you, in your private devotional life, you find yourself speaking in a language unknown to you, uh, and you receive edification and blessing from doing that. Paul says, if you really love other believers and want to see them built up, then when you come into the public assembly, you won't even think about exercising that gift unless there's the possibility of it being interpreted by someone else because otherwise it cannot build up others. All it can do is draw attention to yourself. And gosh, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? And so that's, that's really, in a nutshell, what he's saying. Uh, and so in verse 2, he says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Paul defined the gift of tongues as an unknown language by which a believer speaks to God. It is the supernatural enabling to worship God through prayer and praise in an unknown language you have not naturally learned, nor could you naturally learn. Now, we spent a great deal of time in a previous study examining whether or not the speaking in tongues Paul was describing was a known human language, and we said that it is not. And we also pointed out some reasons why we don't believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost was the gift of tongues. It turns out to be a miracle of languages as the disciples spoke in known human languages that the travelers gathered in the temple could understand because they were speaking in their native languages. And this is where uh, we said a lot of people go wrong in trying to analyze the gift of speaking in tongues in chapters 12, 13, and 14, because they start in Acts chapter 2, and they say, well, there it is, tongues is a language, uh, and uh, so therefore, et cetera, et cetera. And yet Paul clearly says in this chapter, it is an unknown language, that, and his meaning is that it can't be known because it's not a language of men. Now, one point I failed to mention, something Gino pointed out to me as we were debriefing on this is that on the day of Pentecost, when the 120 disciples were praising God in languages they did not know, you get the distinct impression that they were all speaking at once, praising God. The hearers could pick out their own native language from the symphony of voices. It, it doesn't seem to make sense. It wasn't like they came up to the microphone and each gave a word of praise one after another in all the various languages. If that is in fact true, to me, it becomes another evidence that what happened on the day of Pentecost was not the gift of tongues because Paul will tell us later in this chapter that it's wrong to practice simultaneous speaking in tongues. That's one of his big points. He says, hey, you, you shouldn't really all do that at the same time uh, because it's, it's weird and out of order. Uh, so there's all of these little clues. That, that's just one we forgot in our last study, but there's a lot of different clues and reasons why uh, we understand the gift of speaking in tongues to be uh, not a known human language. He says, in the spirit speaking mysteries, that emphasizes that the meaning of the language is not immediately understood by anyone except God. Thus, if you speak in tongues in the assembly, no one understands you because you're speaking mysteries. Now, by definition, speaking in tongues by itself cannot edify other believers since your words are a mystery to them. Now, some people who believe tongues have ceased or otherwise have problems with the gift argue that you cannot be personally edified by something you cannot understand. And I mean, it's one of their arguments. It's clear that 
if I speak in tongues, I can't edify someone else because they don't understand it. But then they turn that argument back on and say, well, how can it edify you? How can it build you up since you can't understand it either? And the answer to that is God says it can. God says it can. And we need to keep our head in what God says about these things, not what other people say or what I might logically suppose. Uh, God says it can. Now, we all agree and take comfort with Romans 8, do we not, where we're told some of our own groanings in prayer are interpreted by the Holy Spirit. I could have the same argument there and say, how can a groaning that I make, oh, oh, how does the Holy Spirit take that and interpret that? How can that be something that, uh, in, in a sense, edifies me when I realize that when I lo- can't even pray anymore, the Holy Spirit is using my groanings. If groanings, then why not utterances I cannot understand? And so um, we need to just take God at his word and not come up with our own hypotheses that seem to make sense to us. And if something uh, doesn't uh, immediately make sense, but God says it, then I am going to wait on the Lord. Now, in passing, we should note that by Paul's definition, speaking in tongues is never, ever God speaking to you or through you to others. It is always you addressing God with prayer and praise. That's what he says. Uh, now, some of you have grown up in, we keep, sometimes we hit certain topics over and over again, and that's just the nature of where we're at in this portion. But some of you maybe have grown up in Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, where someone will use the gift of tongues, they'll speak in tongues, and then it will be followed by a message from God as if what was just said was God speaking to you. Uh, Now, I think that if that happens, the person who thinks they have the interpretation just needs to be told and taught that Paul says that what was said was a word of praise to God, not a word from God to men. Uh, and, And that perhaps they're just needing to put it in that kind of context Uh, But in no case is tongues a message from God ever, as far as Paul's concerned. If you're in an assembly and someone speaks in tongues and then it is interpreted by them or someone else as a message from God, it's just wrong, period. It's just out of order. Now, the things Paul said about tongues are all very positive. There's a, there's a, a thread here in, among some cessationists that Paul is belittling tongues or he's disparaging it or he's putting it down or that kind of thing. But actually, he's, the things he actually says about it are all very positive. We're not justified in thinking he in any way thought badly of the gift, only its misuse and abuse in the public assembly. And I have to believe that if a different gift were being misused and abused in the public assembly at Corinth, then he would have written about that. But in their case, it was this gift of speaking in tongues. Verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Prophecy speaks edification that it focuses my attention on a specific message from God. It's as if God is speaking directly to me at that very moment. It builds me up in the moment for what I am enduring or about to face. Uh, It's not unlike you uh, in your devotions coming across a scripture that just jumps out to you and really ministers to you. Uh, as God is speaking to you, only that it's something that happens in the public assembly where we've gathered together. Uh, last week was a good example. Twice last week, 
someone shared a scripture and somebody else blurted out, I was just thinking about that very scripture or that's the very scripture that God gave me today in what I was going through. And it becomes very meaningful to that individual because that's a confirmation that God is speaking to them from his word at the moment. So that's how it speaks edification. It speaks exhortation in that it reminds me I'm empowered to receive it and if necessary, obey the message from God. Maybe there's something in it uh, that I need to do. Prophecy speaks comfort in that I realize God is speaking to me to encourage me in my walk. I mean, let's face it. We know God is speaking to us through the Bible, right? I mean, we're Christians. It's how many times have you heard someone say that it's his love letter to us? And it is. And so there's no doubt that the Lord is speaking to us anytime we read the word. But isn't it great if you come into a public assembly and somebody shares a one verse out of the however many thousands of verses that are in all of the word of God and it's the very verse that God has just put on your heart or gave you earlier that day or gave, you know, that kind of a thing. I mean, now you know that God is speaking to you, not just in general or like he does every time we crack open the word, but very specifically. And um, sometimes, you know, as far as discipleship or what we sometimes call counseling, sometimes counseling is finding out what God is saying to you in your situation. I, I enter counseling thinking I, I want this to stop or this to end or how to figure out how to get out of this, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, and sometimes God just says, this is it, and here's what is going on, and here's how to look at this. Um, because, you know, over the years I've met with a lot of people about a lot of different things, and I know people don't like to hear this, but sometimes your situation gets worse. People come in looking for help, and they're looking for hope, can you help me? Can you give me hope? Yes, but I need to let you know that things might get a whole lot worse before they get better. Some people come to the Lord at a certain time in their life because they're, they got fired or their marriage is falling apart or some terrible thing happens, and they come to the Lord thinking that if they come to the Lord and do a few things, that God will restore their marriage, that he will give them their job back, those kinds of things. And um, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes things get worse. And, and so we uh, always want to be honest with you about what can happen in, in the Christian life. But when the Lord speaks to you, even if things and when things get worse, you know he's walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You have that comfort. You have that assurance. Uh, and, and that's what the gift of prophecy can do. One thing to notice about the gift of prophecy, as Paul understands it in this chapter at least, it was more about the present than the future. It was a means by which God could take his word and apply it in an immediate sense. Prophecy can be a foretelling of the future, but it seems most often to be a foretelling of the word of God. And that's why I love the uh, exercise of prophecy in our fellowship as we share verses with one another. Uh, either way, the gift of prophecy depends upon and is anchored by the written Word of God. Uh, cessationists will say, oh, you've got the Word of God, why do you need some crazy word of prophecy? Well, if it is a crazy word of prophecy, then we will judge it by the Word of God and say, hey, that doesn't sound like something God would say, just really not God's character 
to say something like that. Or, hey, that contradicts the written word of God and the Holy Spirit can't contradict himself, so we can't really receive that as a prophecy. Uh, I was in a, in fact, it was the day uh, our daughter was being dedicated at Calvary Chapel of Lake Arrowhead and uh, towards the end of the worship service, some guy got up and blurted out a word of prophecy. And I couldn't actually hear it because we were in a staging area. But I remember Pastor Mark Foreman, he got up and he said, um, he says, hey, that seemed like a word of prophecy, but we don't really know the brother who brought that uh, message. And so we'd like to talk to you afterward. And, you know, uh, because the Bible says that we should judge these things. And man, that guy, I did see him run out of there after that. <laughs> so, you know, and so, and that was, I thought, very kind, you know, I just... It was, he was out of order. I mean, Mark didn't get up and say, hey, that guy's out of order. I want the ushers to take him down right now, you know. But he was out of order. It wasn't a time for a prophecy, and, and uh, no one knew him. He was, you know, could have been Elijah, you know. Come every, for, a while, for a while, there was a guy going around different Calvaries who said he was Elijah, and uh, he would jump up and give a spontaneous prophecy at Calvary Chapel of... Um, Oh, where was, where all Reese before, West Covina, before he was in Diamond Bar, the ushers did tackle him. Uh, and and uh, anyway, it's a whole nother story. But anyway, so verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And so there it is. I mean, you, you might say, how can you possibly edify yourself by speaking in an unknown language? I, I, I talk to God about it because Paul said you do. Now, there's no wiggle room here. Speaking in uninterpreted tongues builds you up, and it does not build up others. Speaking intelligible words like prophecy does build up others. You, somebody could say, I just thought that was beautiful. I love hearing people speak in tongues, or, oh, everybody's singing in tongues at the same time. That's all fine, but Paul just says, hey, it can't build you up. The Apostle Paul said the way to build up others is to speak in ways they can understand. I may think otherwise, but I would just be wrong. The inspired word of God says that words spoken in church in public must be understood in order to edify. And so verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And so you see, interpreted tongues is on a par with prophecy. Paul is talking about uninterpreted tongues. Whenever you speak in a public assembly of the church, you're told to do so so that the church may receive edification. And that's the only reason why the gift of prophecy is to be preferred over the uh, speaking in tongues that is uninterpreted. And by the way, it seems clear that by prophecy, Paul wasn't talking about the prepared sermon of the pastor. Certainly, those can be prophetic. God very much speaks to us through Bible teaching. But his emphasis here is more on the immediate bringing forth of a word from God that speaks to the situation a believer uh, or believers are in. And so that's, again, just something to tuck away. The cessationists will say, the gift of prophecy is kind of folded in to the gift of teaching. And so when the pastor is teaching, he is exercising the gift of prophecy and the word of knowledge and all of these other things. And that can and should be true. But that is not the exercise of the gift of prophecy that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about individuals in the fellowship bringing a word from the Lord. 
Paul gave a side-by-side comparison of two speaking gifts of the Spirit with regard to their ability to build up others when exercised publicly. From the standpoint of public worship, prophecy trumps tongues because it can be understood by all. Now, Paul said, I wish you all spoke with tongues. That tells us two things, at least. Tells us that he held the gift of tongues in high esteem. It was not an inferior gift. It just needed to be exercised properly. And this is just my speculation, but if the gift of tongues was going to cease within the next few years, as some cessationists said, you know, it was going to reach its stopping point by the end of the first century, and Paul is pretty much in the middle or on the other side of the middle of the, uh, you know, first century, um, then why does he say, I wish you all spoke with tongues? When he say, hey, those of you who don't speak with tongues, don't worry about it because pretty soon nobody's going to be speaking in tongues anyway. But he says, no, I really do. Paul says, man, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. And that also tells us that not every believer is given the gift of speaking in tongues. Earlier in chapter 12, Paul had clearly stated that tongues was not a gift for every believer, and he backs it up with this. Um, he says, man, I wish you all spoke with tongues. And, and there's no really other way of receiving that some Pentecostals want to say, well, see there, he, he's wishing they all spoke with tongues because they were deficient and they really need to. Or they say there's, there's a gift of speaking in tongues publicly, but there's also a separate gift of speaking in tongues privately. And so you need to be able to, you know, and so, but the clear teaching of the Bible is that not every believer will have the gift of speaking in tongues. We cannot deem tongues inferior or unnecessary. We cannot ignore it or say it has passed away. Speaking in tongues is not a gift for every believer. It's not the sign that you're a Christian, for sure. It's not the sign that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not even a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a gift that is distributed to some members of the body of Christ according to the will of the Holy Spirit. He gives the gifts as He wills. Since it is a gift, you can't learn how to do it. No one can help you learn how to do it by giving you certain words to release your faith it has to be spontaneously given to you by the Holy Spirit. And if you could learn how to do it, it's no longer a gift. If you do have the gift, the question is, are you using it? Especially in your private devotions where you can be speaking words of prayer and praise to God. Like uh, all the other gifts, we would say, stir up the gift which is in you uh, by the Holy Spirit and use it to his glory. Amen.